Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one glorious genre at a time. I'm Rowan Ellis and this is Hot Takes. I'll be joined by a guest who's come ready to go with three queer movie hot takes that they'll need to persuade me of in three arguments or less. I'm very excited today to have everyone's favourite red string wall meme turned human being, Alex from Are They Gay? Hello, Alex. Hello, Rowan. It's nice to be here. It's good to finally be here and talk to you and uh, sit down just to chat about gay things. Um, I'm excited and ready to go with those hot takes. Um, If people don't know who you are, I feel like my introduction, if people don't know who you are, might be quite confusing. Right. What what is it that you do on the internet? Tell everyone listening who who doesn't, uh, isn't familiar with your particular artistry. Yeah. Um, usually when I tell people in real life, I say, um, well, my username is called Are They Gay? And that's basically what it is. But it also isn't what I do. So I have a series where I analyze queer representation and analyze whether or not characters are, as they say, gay. But then I also talk about different topics relating to queer representation and queer history and try to bring different perspectives in that we don't see much of in mainstream media. It's very good. Uh, highly recommend. Go check it out. So I have I've requested of you before you came on the call today to come loaded, ready to go with three queer movie hot takes. Yes. Ha- has that in fact happened? Are you here prepared? I have my takes and we'll see if they're scorching or lukewarm. Excellent. T- already tick first thing on the list done. So do you have a particular order that you want to do these in or are you sort of picking them out of a hat? Uh, I have an order, yes. Amazing. Is this order of least persuasive to most persuasive or are you starting out the gate strong? What's what's the order? I would say that it starts out kind of lukewarm, but then it gets a little more spicier towards the end. Love that. Yeah. Incredible. Okay, hit me, hit me with the first hot take. Okay. So I think people can agree with this one, but it may it may uh, shock some viewers. I think Number one, we use the term queer baiting too much. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Okay, so to begin with, do you have some kind of working definition of queer baiting? If someone's listening and they're like, what is that? Or like, I've heard it before, but I'm not sure exactly what it means. Do you, do you have something to explain what, what it is this hot take is even about? Yes, of course. I have a working definition. So, so. prepared. So my general definition would be when producers or creators of a piece of media intentionally lure queer audiences promising media that represents them but these creators and producers have no intentions of actually following through with that explicit representation how's Mm. that definition that was a that was perfect okay incredible okay so explain this hot take to me take me through take me through those that reasoning that you have so the reasoning i have is the hard part is proving the intent or like the creator's awareness of the fact that there's queer subtext or that there's queer baiting. So we have a classic example, Destiel and Supernatural, Dean and Castiel characters have their tension. It's played up to hell. There's hundreds of articles written over the years. The creators know kind of what's going on because you can see the hints in the show that they know the audience that they're going for and the audience they're trying to lure. And they have all that tension. You have the final I love you. And it's it's definitely gay enough to the point of luring in gay people, but not gay enough to pass the kind of out of the loop great aunt test where like if you're out of the loop, elderly great aunt is able to say 
wow, what good friends, then it's not quite as gay as it could be. So there you have this instance of creators being like, here's gay subtext, here's the audience you want to attract, but it's not quite as explicit as it could be. But then sometimes people just use the term queer baiting to mean any instance of kind of gay subtext that isn't confirmed and make these accusations that maybe aren't as substantive as they could be. Like I saw someone accuse Burton Ernie of queer baiting and it's like, yeah, they're gay, but I don't think that's queer baiting because like, I don't think the creators of Sesame Street are trying to lure in queer audiences with Burton Ernie. It's just kind of something that developed naturally. So yeah, queer baiting exists. It's bad, but it's not every time that there is queer subtext in a piece of work. Okay, so I feel like this is already pretty persuasive in that some people will just throw words around without necessarily thinking about their true implications. So I feel right. like as a take, I'm on board. I'm uh -huh. on board with the take. My question is, which you kind of already touched on, how can you tell when this is happening, right? Because I feel like producers and writers probably aren't going to admit to doing this, at right. least not while the show is on air, because it feels like it'll be quite bad publicity for them. So how do you tell the difference or can you tell the difference between genuine queer baiting versus clueless uh, creatives versus people who really genuinely are, well, potentially creatives who are going to create a queer relationship for that character further down the line. And that was, you know, always part of their plan. It wasn't a bait. It was something they were going to always uh, follow through on. Right. I think it's just using, it's like, I feel like it's more or less obvious when there is a promise and it's being used with a kind of profit motive. So like, if you want a really obvious example, there's the Teen Wolf situation where Derek and Styles two characters again they had their tension and you can tell the creators and actors understood this because there was one video where the actors are kind of being all touchy and feely and they're like oh guys if you vote for teen wolf for best summer show at the teen choice awards then we'll just keep doing this and being gay together so you have these instances where there is the promise and as you can see at the end of the show nothing kind of comes to fruition or you have creators kind of contradicting that previous promise so i don't have an exact like here's what to look for the list i mean i have like a list of what queer baiting can look like but it's not you just have to look for that promise and over the years whether or not you see that kind of contradicted or whether it comes to fruition or not so it's a it's a game you have to play sometimes that makes sense. It kind of is frustrating. You think that at this point, we would we would be at a point where queer baiting wasn't necessary, right? That a show could just be like, and they were gay. Yeah. Why do you think it is when we when we do have shows on air that do have openly gay characters? Why do you think shows would continue to use this as a as a tactic? I, I mean, it's a profit thing, right? So you build up an audience, and queer people, when they're attached to the, a certain relationship, can be a very loyal and very always their audience you know so it's it seems like it's something that is kind of easy to do and easy to not kind of make the representation explicit so you know you don't alienate your conservative audience but then you have this really loyal fan base there and it's kind of a win-win situation for or not win-win but it's like a win for 
the creators. You don't want to alienate everyone, but you want to please everyone. And that's a way to do it, even though it's not good, you know, for queer audiences. And it could be easy to just say, yeah, they're gay, but you don't want to tell the other audiences that you're trying to please, like, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're like, we're almost, I feel like queer people are almost easier to please because we've had such nothing for yeah. so long it's like we'll take any crumbs please yeah, the crumbs. we will lick off the plate we're fine um whereas any whiff of canonical queer might seriously kind of detract more conservative audiences as you said who yeah. are more likely to boycott things like that whereas i feel like i don't know many shows that have queer baiting where and, and a lot of these viewers these queer viewers are fully aware of it weirdly they don't tend to then boycott those shows they just yeah. tend to watch them more because they because there is still this almost like schrodinger's homosexual they're like are they going they they might yeah. they might do it they might they be waiting and we've had i think recently a few exam examples of that right like the you mentioned castiel in supernatural or kind of like penultimate episode like 11th hour coming in with the i love you coming in with the spanish dub and that's <laughs> uh, you know the supernatural writers can now say all those accusations of queer baiting, what were you even talking about? They were totally queer, all, like this This character was queer all along. And we've also just had an episode of Doctor Who where a very long standing like ship has had hints of becoming canon. And it remains to be seen whether that fully gets taken to fruition. But it's kind of interesting that you have this maybe awareness so that at the last second, when it's too late for anyone conservative to boycott, you're able, the writers are able to kind of slip a little bit of confirmation in there to kind of almost keep people sweet on that franchise even after it's finished so that fans continue to be loyal in the way that they will hype up the show, hype up the actors, hype up the writers in their next projects, like be creating transformative yeah. work like fan fiction and fan art, like keeping that kind of fandom alive afterwards. I feel like that can only kind of propel it further. Yeah, and I feel like, queer fans are so loyal like if you had if you can confirm something like you have a there right there like a very loyal fan base and as you said we've been working off all these crumbs and building a bunch of communities like online over just crumbs like all these fan works and fan fiction that is built off of queer subtext and to have a confirmation i feel like I mean that's a that's that's a good loyal audience and fan base right there. So there's every reason to make it. Besides moral reasons, there's all these other reasons, you know, to have queerness be explicit. I've seen, I think, over the years, a lot of instances where the actors themselves seem very in support of those relationships, those readings by fans. Mm -hmm. And I think that potentially once they're aware of it and they're they're interested in that, that can leak into their performance in some ways. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about, I guess, whether you personally would prefer if a if a couple or if a, a character is never going to actually be confirmed to be queer in the show, whether you prefer for it just to be played straight for lack of a better, a better phrase, like have the actor rein it in and just not include that in their performance at all. Or are you okay with those actors kind of giving it a bit of a wink and a nudge and allowing the audience to kind of imagine that that's a possibility for the character, even if it doesn't happen on screen? Right. I guess that's hard to say, but it depends on how it's marketed. Like if it's marketed as, you know, this is the next big queer love story, but then there's not like any 
kind of explicit acknowledgement that's I feel like that's not great but if it's if it's just like actors playing with the relationship and playing with the tension that's kind of coming out of there then that's not something that's bad or something that should be discouraged because there isn't like one way to play a relationship or a friendship to sort of have different diverse ways of having relationships on screen i feel like that would be interesting something similar happened with hannibal where hannibal and will the two characters i think they didn't go in with the intention of making hannibal and will like gay but the actors kind of played with a tension that existed within the characters that they saw develop naturally and the outcome i I thought the outcome was pretty good in just playing with kind of the different types of relationships that can exist but at some point it's like that's good to play with different types of tensions and relationships but at some point there does need to be a confirmation somewhere like in a diff in some show somewhere please just give us something but you know it's fine to play with things as long as it's not marketed in a like alluring promising way like this is it it, it, it should just tell us what it is and we're fine. We'll t- listen, we, again, we'll take anything. Right. Yeah. We'll take, we'll take <laughs> the tiniest little morsels that we can get. Okay. I would love to hear your second hot take. Okay. I would love to hear what you've got for this. This sort of a uh, medium at Nando's, let's say it's, it's a little bit spicier, but it's not quite going to blow our heads off. Yeah. From what I understand. Yes. Lay it on me. So this will sound spicy, but then when I explain it, I think it'll simmer down a bit. Okay. So the statement is, we don't need more gay movies. Just let that settle in. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Okay. I'm letting it settle. We're all letting it settle. Would you please now give us your your points for your hot take? that All are right. going to persuade us that you haven't just dropped a bomb and you're just going to leave. You're just going to be like, have the that, door. <laughs> and, then, and then just drop off this call and never come to the podcast again. All right, all right. Let me explain before I get burnt at the stake, okay? So now this hinges on how we define gay movies. Mm. So I was watching Single All the Way, which is the new like Netflix gay holiday movie. And I was like, huh, I wonder who this is for, because what type of gay is this for? Why are there a bunch of shirtless hot guys that I don't really relate to that much? And it's like they were making the gayest movie of 2004. And for me, it just felt so alien because like I'm not a hot gay guy from 2004 who lives in West Hollywood. And like in the image of mainstream Hollywood, that image is like the default image of a gay person, like some muscly gay guy from L.A., And those people definitely exist, and I definitely know people like that. And yeah, maybe I liked queer as folk, but there's a lot of diversity in the queer community beyond this kind of that archetype. And like there's this genre of like 2000s movies that's like really schlocky, over-sexual movies for gay men that are funny and cute, but like not representative. And yet somehow that kind of image became what straight people or kind of outsiders think of when they think of gay people in Hollywood, this kind of over-sexual buff white guy aesthetic. So instead of just the archetypical gay movie, maybe we need more either movies with queer characters displaying queer culture 
from a different point of view or diverse points of view or movies where queerness is less of and like the central aesthetic and conflict and where queerness is just something that kind of happens and it exists within a story that's not really related to the usual queer topics com like coming out or homophobia like what if bucky and sam from the falcon and winter soldier you know had their romance that could be a a, a new type of queer film the romance they deserved Alex. yeah exactly <laughs> i mean i thought that might be i had a suspicion that might be where you were going with this yeah once this episode comes out there will also we have done an episode it will also be out at that point on single all the way on this very podcast and i imagine that we had very similar thoughts <laughs> to you on the topic of this movie i ended up watching quite a few queer Christmas movies. Uh -huh. And what's really interesting is that Christmas romance movies are this very specific genre, especially in America. In in Britain, they tend to be weirdly tragic, but <sighs> in America, they're very, very fluffy and like Hallmark and oh, Lifetime yeah. and all that I kind of them. stuff. But you, I agree that you can get something when it, when it crosses over with this community, like the, the gay community who they are like, painfully aware that they have not represented before yeah. and are now kind of catching up they have the tendency to like maybe overly uh <laughs> be careful with what they're doing like yeah. be overly kind of saccharine to the point where there's like no interest no conflict no nothing going on there right and that's kind of how i felt there was there were a few ones that were pretty good i mean technically that we have had some uh queer Christmas movies, but it's like Tangerine is technically a queer Christmas movie. Right. Carol is technically a queer Christmas movie. If we, Anna in the Apocalypse, if we were being very generous. But the one that I saw that was more of this Christmas romance kind of genre was The Christmas Setup. Have not seen that it. That I think towed the line very well. I think it's the Lifetime one from, from this year. Okay. It towed the line extremely well between, here is like a very nondescript relationship like here here are two people who have their personalities but like they're just very normal human beings who are just going on with their lives being gay doesn't really factor into this whatsoever at this point like uh -huh. it's it could have been a man it could have been a woman it didn't make a difference and it's the classic you know i'm from the big city and i like my job and i've got to decide if i want to take this big promotion that would have me move to another country or move back to my hometown to spend time with those i love very classic Christmas romance movie thing. But they also included some interesting stuff that was very specifically gay. So mm. there's a, a subplot where they discover that the guy who essentially built the town, the small town, like was this really well-known kind of philanthropist guy, had a relationship with another man and they find these like love letters to each other. And there's like a photograph of them on a train platform where you see they're not holding hands, but they're like pinkies are brushing. Uh -huh. And it's this acknowledgement of this element of queer suffering and queer history within the genre of very saccharine romance movies that wasn't kind of erasing the idea of like, hey, we just didn't do this before this year because we thought that being gay was wrong. It's It was a really interesting mm -hmm. mix up of it. But I don't think you can necessarily call, I mean, I don't think you can necessarily call that movie like avant-garde queer cinema. Um, but I do think it was, it was hedging this line of, okay, how do we, how do we create a queer character who isn't necessarily just a stereotype? Um, right. And that deals with these issues that I think queer people are interested in or talking about while not making queerness and queer trauma like the center of the story do you have any examples of films that you've watched that you would consider to be in this category of like movies that you would want to see in this genre 
so what I think is like, I gave like two examples of the type of what we need more of because I don't want to move completely away from like the queer kind of experience because like the traumas and the tragedies, like those things happen. So it's not like we can ignore them completely. But then also we've seen so much of that that we need kind of different queer movies that don't center that. So I feel like there's this one movie called The Half of It which I saw a year ago. It's it's it doesn't it doesn't have like the the typical like mainstream like gay guy who's really muscly at the, at the gym kind of gay aesthetic it has. It's more just like a high school coming of age thing and there is that tension of coming out and coming to terms with your sexuality but it feels different because it's like it's not the main tension it's a tension but the there's also like the tension between the relationship between the main character which i forgot the name of and her friend and then like the love interest and like this whole kind of triangle it's it's more complicated more complex and it's like a more nuanced kind of depiction of coming to terms with your sexuality than we see usually in film so I thought that was like a good kind of way of displaying the diversity of the queer experience that it's not just kind of a monolithic coming out story, but there's different ways of coming out or discovering your identity. So that one I thought was a really good movie. I really like the half of it. So for people who haven't seen it, the very sort of like top line description of the movie is a sort of very straight A student, Chinese American girl, ends up helping like this sort of hapless himbo type school jock woo a girl that they are both in love with. Kind of Serrano de Bergerac style vibes. And it also has, I think it was particularly marked for not having the main character have a coming out scene in which she said like a label it kind of felt more of an organic coming out of like, I, I guess I like this person. I'm going to acknowledge it within myself. And like, she she has a kiss at the end, but it's not like, and then we were in a relationship. It's just her figuring out what's going on with her, both in terms of her sexuality, but also her like life in general. And I found that lesbian plus silly little boy, a great friendship dynamic for film. Yeah, I would definitely. personally like to see more of that energy out there i yeah i i agree that i i really enjoyed that movie i thought it was brilliant you said you had a, you had a second movie that you would kind of recommend in that same vibe i i don't have a different movie i'm sure there's a million but one thing i just thought of like the kind of dynamic that exists between marceline and princess bubblegum in adventure time where that show is like a fantasy or like it's a different world than our world you don't have exactly the the queer struggle, so to say, that you would see on Earth. But you do have that relationship develop within their own universe and their own kind of dynamics. And I think that's just an example of queerness not being the center, like the queer struggle not being at the center of the movie, but it's still being good queer representation because it's just like they just happen to be in love and they live there life together off in the woods with their domestic you know lesbian aesthetic and i feel like that's a great kind of direction to be going in just you know not abandoning the queer struggle completely from film but factoring in different ways that queerness can exist like in the fantasy genre 
or in children's animation where that that kind of tragedy may not be like the thing that you want to display uh in front of like a kid's show but it's still great because it's like you know there's a good relationship there that makes total sense to me i think your started spicy got milder second take makes a lot of sense to me i think the film of any genre to be honest like even not just talking about queer cinema which is it's not really a genre but i think it often gets kind of on netflix it's like here are the here are the queer films and i'm like that's quite a range but it's it's very true of any genre that the more diversity you have not just of like storyline and of narrative but of identity of everything the stronger it becomes the more that people are allowed to experiment with the different characters and voices the different production the different types of script the different storylines like the the better and stronger it will become as it as it builds on itself and I think that you're absolutely right having one type of queer character that gets repeated is not helpful and I think that one of the things that I personally see a lot from lacking from lesbian representation is is butch lesbians Mm -hmm. like that's there's this image of lesbians which is I wouldn't even say femme lesbians I would say straight women who who are apparently gay like I feel like there's a very different energy between femme lesbians and the type of characters that I see who are just sort of feminine women who are played a lot of the time by straight actresses who are in these a lot of these sort of tv shows for example Uh and I really think that we suffered from the stereotypes that were around before we had like positive queer representation of the effeminate gay man and the butch gay woman where they never actually got to have their own proper representation they got horrible representation where they were the butt of the joke and then everyone railed against that but instead of saying we want to give these people authentic representation yeah instead they said oh we, we, we don't want to have those like those kind of gay people on screen uh-huh. like we we want real gay people as if that's mutually exclusive because I think it people would struggle even people who have said to me you know I feel like we shouldn't just have these like really feminine gay characters like it's a real stereotype I'm like okay well tell tell me some characters like mm-hmm. literally list me five characters who you think have had all this great representation and you just can't because you've got what like I feel like the quintessential one from my childhood was Kurt Hummel from Glee. Right. There's like Emmett from Queer as Folk. It's very small because of this kind of lack of respect. And like, I feel like butch women, similar situation. So having like even something as simple as that, I think would be completely revolutionary in a lot of these spaces because you wouldn't be able to laugh at the characters or you wouldn't be able to sexualize them depending Mm. on what kind of gender you're talking about, let alone you know, having trans narratives, let alone having ace narratives, non-binary narratives, like that's like not even touched the surface of that. You know, when we're looking at this podcast and we're trying to figure out films that we can watch, it is a struggle to find like films that represent everyone that we want to represent in the community that we feel like we would even want to watch because there are so many of them that fall into these traps of representation where they're, you know, have cast cis male actors as, trans women that is a movie that is extremely traumatizing for people with actual identity to watch because it's just like really rough like what's what what people are going through because the audience for those movies was like straight people who needed to learn how to care about gay people yeah so I I definitely agree I mean do you have a do you have any particular like 
storylines, genres, identity, stuff that you really wish if you were like given a magic wand and someone could wave it and be like, Alex, here is here is a movie just right now for you. <laughs> Do you have anything you'd want to include? Like, are you someone who would love to see fantasy stuff? Are you someone who's more into kind of queer superheroes? Like what would be your, your kind of wish list? I don't think I have a particular genre. I know one thing that's probably lacking is the bisexuals. Where are all the bisexuals? There's... A lot of like the ships that I grew up with, they would be good bisexual representation because, you know, a lot of the characters are depicted with women, but then you have this kind of male-centered relationship that's at the kind of center of the ship. So it's like, I don't have a specific genre, so to say, but I would like to see more of kind of those stories where it's just like two people and there's this great relationship and then th we get our kind of queer confirmation, you know, to see a, a diversity of genres would be good. And then just acknowledgement that like bisexual people exist and that not every sexuality crisis is a gay sexuality crisis. Sometimes it's like, oh, oh, I'm bisexual. That's awesome. That would be good to see. There's ways to improve all types of representation. So even though I said we don't need more gay movies, truly, we do need more gay movies. I guess it would just depend on redefining what gay means for mainstream film and having kind of a more complex, more in-depth version of the gay that we might see kind of just thrown around in mainstream film. Amazing. Hello, dear listener, it is Rowan interrupting myself to talk to you a little bit about today's sponsor, Tab for a Cause. So if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, you will already know. But if not, if you're here for the first time, I will ask you the traditional question, do you use the internet? I am assuming from context clues, the answer is going to be yes, you are in fact listening to this podcast. So I want to tell you a little bit about Tab for a Cause, which is a browser extension that lets you raise money for charity while just, you know, opening tabs online, doing your thing. Some of us, me included, have a lot of tabs open at any one time. Some might say too many tabs, but you know what you can't do too much of? Raise money for charity. So this is going to allow you to do both the good thing and also the thing that, you know, maybe is slowing down your computer a little bit and you should probably get around, like some of those tabs you haven't even looked at in like six months, maybe it's time to just let it go. Anyway, whenever you open a new tab, when you're using Tab for a Cause, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to see a beautiful photograph and two, you're going to see a small ad. Part of that ad money goes towards a charity of your choice. It's as simple as that. So if that sounds like something that might benefit both you and a good cause, join Team Queer Movie Podcast by signing up at tabforacause.org forward slash queer movie. If you've been enjoying this podcast, and we sincerely hope that you are, then maybe you'd like to check out some of the other shows that are part of the Multitude Collective. So for example, one that I just have been enjoying so much since it started is Exalor. So me finding out about this podcast kind of coincided directly with me getting super into the idea of like D&D &D and world building and DMing and like creating my own homebrew stuff. So it just ended up being the perfect podcast to listen to. This is the perfect podcast for, you know, both people who are writers, maybe game masters, creators who want to make their own fictional worlds, but also just people who are 
interested in questions like, you know, what would life be like on another planet somewhere different from our own? Because with Exelor, every other week, astrophysicist slash folklorist Dr. Moya McTeer explores fictional worlds by building them from scratch with a panel of expert guests, interviewing professional world builders or reviewing the merits of worlds that have already been built. They've had everything from episodes on building cultures with anthropologists to exploring the world building of the Matrix. Give it a listen and I know that you'll learn, you'll laugh and you'll gain an appreciation for how special our planet really is. If that sounds like the podcast for you, then subscribe today by searching Exolore, that is E-X-O-L-O-R-E, in your podcast app or going to exolorepod.com. And now let's get back to this podcast and my conversation with Alex. Okay, and we come now, finally, I guess, to hot take number three, the spiciest of them all, three chili peppers on the menu. Go for it. All right, this is spicy because it is hard to process and hard to believe, but I promise it'll at least make 60% sense. The final declaration that I have to say, this might contradict my last take, but here we go. All movies are gay. I love when a guest comes on and it's like, I have three hot takes and two of them are the opposite of each other. <laughs> Truly the spiciest. Okay, we're going to sit with that again, everyone. Uh, just take a breath, take that in. Maybe, you know, pause the podcast, journal about it for 15 minutes, come back. And Alex is going to take us through what? Uh, <laughs> please explain. All right. So I've made my declaration and I'll now leave. Okay, no. <laughs> so we have to think about what is gay? You might think that it's an identity, meaning homosexual, or an umbrella term for someone who identifies as queer. And that's true. But gay is not just an identity. There's also kind of an aesthetic and a way of moving about the world. So while a person doesn't choose a sexual orientation, the meaning of that category of someone or something being gay is that socially constructed, what that means. So our modern understanding of sexuality is socially constructed. So not to get too historical, and I swear this will make sense, but Please do. <laughs> the social construction of being gay was the result of the formation of larger power dynamics. That is kind of the rationalization of power under capitalism, that need for categorization. So that category of gay or homosexual is the product of modern capitalism's need to classify everything for the purposes of utility. And these categories carry social forces and power dynamics. Okay. Can you tell that I am a sociology major now? I was like, I just, I've been waiting yeah. for, for, I feel like every take I'm like, okay, where's the take on capitalism? Where's the take on we live in a society right, yeah. and it's here. Here Let, it okay, is. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. We've done our dictionary definitions. We've done our sociology textbook flicking through. Please continue. All right, let me develop this. All right, so these power dynamics are so ingrained into society, the same power dynamics that created what our understanding of the category of queerness is, that these same forces that created queerness so permeate our society that it'll permeate just every aspect of our lives, including film. So let's say something 
a general category, something like deviance is portrayed and filmed. The way that narrative presented, it's easy for queer people to relate to things that are called either deviant or outcast or enemy because of the way the same social forces that created those categories are the same ones that created the category of queerness and being gay. And so I have examples. I asked on my Twitter, what is the most heterosexual movie? Just to see all the different ways that it's easy to make something gay because it's just, it's always there. Now, I wasn't familiar with all of the suggestions, but the Queer Movie Pod suggested Elf. I haven't seen Elf in over a decade, but I will say from reading the Google description, the story of a campy outcast, I mean, I feel like that speaks for itself. That was almost too easy. Right. Yeah. There was some other suggestions that I got. Let's talk about the Fast and Furious movies here. Supposedly the most heterosexual franchise, according to Twitter, we all know what the Fast and Furious movies are, you know, the cars, explosions, etc. I haven't also seen these movies in a decade, but I read up on them. And it turns out there's a whole theoretical literature on the Fast and Furious movies being gay. Um, it seems extremely heterosexual, but I've seen a many analysis of the fact of the homoerotic tension that exists between several of the characters. Also important the found family metaphor that Vin Diesel constantly brings up talking about family. And it's like, okay, these outcasts coming together and forming a chosen family, that's gay. And this whole car fascination thing, that's a queer thing. In the fourth movie, there's this quote, I don't know the context, but let's just roll with it. Gal Gadot asks Vin Diesel, are you one of those boys who prefers cars to women? And Vin Diesel replies, I'm one of those boys who appreciates a fine body regardless of the make. So as you can see, there's just even in the most heterosexual movies possible, you can find a way to find where queerness exists and, you know, identify with that if you if you must. I I have never been more persuaded in my life of anything, to be honest. That was incredible. I while you were talking, I was listening, looked up The Fast and the Furious on Archive of Our Own, uh-huh. the queer Bible and <laughs> the fan fiction website that is archive of our own and there are 2451 fan wow. fictions about fast and the furious there's also about 50 fast and the furious real people fan fiction but we we left that alone for the for the time being every single one of the ships is is damn gay that's true it's real it's real queer and i feel like this is a good measure i feel like it's almost the what you were saying earlier about the the test where you show your aunt yeah. something and see if if she can spot it being gay i kind of feel like the the ao3 test of like you take something that's a, <laughs> supposed to be straight and you plug it in and you see if anyone's written gay fan fiction about it and i feel like you would be hard pressed to find a piece of media a movie in fact that that wasn't gay via that metric right and for that i'd say i'm pretty damn persuaded that's round of applause i mean i feel like we can see when you when you were talking about the idea of like queer deviancy like within film i feel like we see that in the ways in which queerness was used you know through queer coding to be like a literal marker of villainy you know yeah. the queer coded villain is something that that i've talked about and i know you have talked about as well the idea that we had this period of censorship in hollywood called the hayes code where uh, you couldn't 
show someone being sinful or committing wrongdoing or if you did they couldn't they couldn't get away with it they had to be shown to be evil and they had to be punished for it and so what ended up happening was because being gay was under that censorship there were ways you could kind of show a character was maybe queer but they would always have to be punished in the end and they would have to be linked to villainy in the first place and it was often contrasted against the very virulent heterosexual hero character and so that then years later even after the Hays Code was taken out of of kind of Hollywood circulation those lessons had been learned and they were replicated knowingly and unknowingly until you come to today and there are people who have never even heard of the Hays Code didn't even know it was a thing but they're so used to seeing these queer coded villains that they're like oh that's what a villain looks like in film yeah and I don't think it's a any sort of coincidence that a lot of queer people uh, generally relate quite a lot to the villainous characters. You're absolutely right within these movies. It kind of feels like a, a connection there because it is so opposed to the supposed heterosexual hero dynamics of of the lead character. Yeah. Although sometimes, you know, as you have pointed out quite rightly, sometimes the lead character can be, have a little bit of queerness in the old outsider narrative i feel like it's a very it's almost like a little friend of dorothy type like nod if a character's ever like i'm an outsider in a movie i'm like oh yeah oh ding 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 like (laughs) i think that's a code for something i feel like i know what that means which uh yeah only goes further to prove your point yeah it's like just the fact that if you look at like the history of film queerness hasn't been like an identity it's been used as something as a mechanism to convey something and those mechanisms don't go away they kind of get ingrained into the overall techniques of filmmaking and in that way queerness kind of becomes present in whatever story you see i feel like maybe we're more attuned to the outcast kind of that rings a bell thing um but people don't tend to notice it consciously and you really have to put on the queer goggles which i always have on but to really get at oh you know this can be read a certain way and it just takes showing people those kind of queer lenses or the queer gaze in order to get people on board it's not hard to to show people the ways different movies and film can be gay it just takes being conscious of it which many people aren't but it's it's not difficult to make anything gay because it, it is, it truly is. If you wish and try hard enough. Yeah. I mean, I feel like anyone listening to this podcast is already kind of on board with this, yeah. whether on a serious or on a tongue-in-cheek level. But the fact that you talk a lot online about characters who are supposedly heterosexual and you kind of point out all the ways in which you could equally read them as being queer or, uh-huh. or that they would be more interesting if they were queer or, you know, something to get to that degree... Do you find people getting very defensive of them about the idea that they, no, no, these are straight characters? Like, do you see a lot of that backlash or have you kind of created a piece of the internet that that doesn't have any of that? I think I think there definitely is. I do definitely have a community of people who are like, oh, gay? Yeah, of course, definitely. There's definitely a lot it. of, you know, people like that. But there are a few comments that I see slip through where they're pretty defensive, like, oh, they're not gay. The creator said they're not gay. You guys are just so silly. You guys are insane and stupid and etc. And, you know, to me, it's like, it's, it's, it's really not that big of a deal, my friends. You know, this is fiction. It, it doesn't exist, like, 
it's fiction. So we can say anything we want about it, and no one can say either way whether it's true or not because it doesn't really exist. So yeah, there are people who get really defensive about their characters, but I feel like most of the people who watch my videos are already pretty okay with me saying anything is gay, and they'll be like, yeah, sure, of course. It all, it's all coming together now, I see it. Exactly. I do, I mean, the interesting like word that you just said that I've, I've definitely seen in comments about the idea of like, you're crazy, you're insane for thinking that. Yeah. I do think there's this weird element of gaslighting that ties into that, I guess, uh -huh. kind of all, all of the things that we've been talking about today of uh, when you have something that's queer baiting, by its very nature, it's being denied by the creators, mm -hmm. right? Like that's that's kind of the point. Yeah. But they're also putting it out there. So you have this, it almost feels like being gaslit. Like it almost feels like you are going crazy when you're like, I can't be the only one seeing this. Like I, this is gay, right? Like this yeah. is, this is definitely a thing. Like how how is that for you at this point? Like having obviously been very involved within for your, for your job or the thing that you do yeah. online with these very, particular stories has it made you more just like the author is dead who cares whatever or do you still get frustrated at this sort of tactic this kind of marketing tactic that is like queer baiting and and people not being honest about their intentions with characters i think it's kind of both because as a sociology major i'm kind of post truth and post like anything is real in the way that like yeah fiction it's there but these stories, you can't, like, they don't exist. And so if you want to make a statement about them, like, or if the author makes a statement about them, like, they're not making a statement about anything material or tangible. And so it's, we're just kind of going on our own framework of, well, if the author says it's true, then it's true. And I mean, there's nothing written into the universe that says, if the author says something is true, then it's true. So for me personally, it's like, I just read whatever I read into it. And the fact that I can read something into something indicates to me that there is something that something that I am detecting. I'm not just kind of pulling it out of thin air. But then at the same time, it's like fiction isn't real, but it does have like a material impact on people. And so while I may not trust or completely believe what an author says about their work, I understand that it does have an impact on how people kind of view and take action on things. So personally, nothing is real, but it is important to acknowledge that an author says something and maybe why they're queer baiting or why their statements have an effect and what we should do about it. And, you know, my prescription is always just, you know, if you read something into it, your feelings are valid because you're detecting something. And that's what I give people when they're watching something, that power to kind of determine what they're viewing. Uh, I don't really believe in a firm truth out of fiction or anything, but it is real in some way. Yeah, I think that that, that does make a lot of sense, right? That those two things can be true at the same time. Yeah. Um, and that something can have an impact and it can also be informed by other things around it. And I think that when we talk about, as both of us do so often around representation, we're talking about representation, but we're also talking about wider social attitudes, about things that can have a material effect on people. Like when you look back at the changing public perception of queerness through history, a lot of it has been linked to 
representation on television, mm-hmm. on soap operas, on uh, sitcoms, stuff like Will and Grace has has had a huge effect. Whether or not we would now consider it to be the bastion of good queer representation, it has had a material impact on public consciousness, which has inevitably had an impact on legal rights, which is right. so wild to think that Will and Grace could have an effect on our, our equal rights and yet. So I think that the, this stuff is both like ridiculous and and stupid and like it literally means nothing but also can have an effect that can mean everything to people and i think that those those two things are like true at the same time exactly yeah so just before we end we've talked a lot about kind of hot takes and problems and things like that but if someone is listening and they are interested in watching like a movie or a tv show that does have a queer character that you are currently enjoying what would it be this is one show never have i ever there's a queer character on that that's pretty good so anyone uh, wanting queer uh, woman story there's a good one there and it's a good show that's all i have to say Amazing. Once again, three incredible hot takes from our guest. I am obsessed with this format. Honestly, well done me and Jazza for coming up with it because I just enjoy people getting very controversial and then it turns out it's just a take full of nuance. Thank you so much, Alex, for joining us. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for putting together all of your thoughts. If people who are listening would like to hear more from you, like to find you around on the internet, where can they do so? Well, first, just thanks for having me. This is great. I live to shock. If anyone wants to see more shocking content, uh, you can go to youtube.com and search Are They Gay? Or you can go to my Twitter at Are They Gay? And I also have a website, www.itsall.gay. So if you, if you want to look for me there and be shocked, that's where you can find me. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter to keep up to date with everything podcast related. If you enjoyed this episode, please do think about supporting us over on Patreon. Our patrons really are the backbone of the podcast, and in exchange for your support, we have some great tier rewards set up over there. One of the perks on our Patreon is a queer movie watch-along every last Saturday of the month, exclusively for our patrons. It's very fun, so, you know, come and join us. The Queer Movie Podcast is edited by Julia Schiaffini. We're also part of Multitude Productions, which has a lot more amazing sibling podcasts to ours that you should definitely check out. Make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so you are primed for our next episode. Thank you so much for listening and hopefully you will hear from us very soon.